If you were expecting to hear a whole sermon on a single verse, if you've been in church for a while, there might be a few verses you'd expect. Maybe John 3.16 is the famous, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever would believe in him shall not die, but have eternal life. You might think of another verse, like God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. You might think of another verse, like there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's a few you might think of that a whole sermon could be dedicated to, maybe even a whole book written on that single verse from Scripture. Well, this morning, we're going to look at one verse in the Bible. And it might not be one of those verses that you put in that category. But I believe that as we unpack this tiny little verse that we have this morning, that we will see many rich things about who Jesus is. So, my name is Luke. I'm one of the elders, one of the leaders here at Life Church. And this morning, we start a new sermon series. Okay, so from today all the way up to Easter Sunday, we are going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be starting at the beginning this morning and going all the way to the end on Easter Sunday. Uh, and this is going to be a great chance to immerse ourselves in a very, very important bit of the Bible. Now, you might be very familiar with Matthew. It's often the place that if you've only read a bit of the Bible, it's often the place some people start. It's the first book of the New Testament. You might have never heard of it before. You might have read it a thousand times. But this is such an important and wonderful book. I am confident that God has something to teach each of us this term. And I'd love to encourage you, really get stuck into Matthew's gospel this term. And I'd love to encourage you to do two things in particular. So the first thing is if you have a term card, these these little term cards that just kind of spell out the basics of what we do together as a church family every few months, you'll see that the sermons are here that we're going to be looking at every week. And underneath the sermon is a little reading plan. Isn't that very prepared and like a school? There's a little reading plan. Uh, some of you are smiling because you're like, I love reading plans. Uh, or maybe you're like, oh, I hate reading plans and I'm gritting through my teeth. No, this is a little way actually to give everyone in the church an opportunity to read Matthew's gospel for yourself. Now, there'll be two or three chapters to read each week. I'm not a very fast reader. For me, that will take about half an hour a week. Okay, not a day, half an hour a week. And so this hopefully is a little way before each Sunday to have a chance to go through Matthew's gospel. So as a whole church family, we're immersed in this text. And that should hopefully be accessible to most of us. So I'd love to encourage you to do that. The second thing is throughout the term, there are going to be a few little devotionals, a few little um, extra bits in life news. And so watch out for them. This week will be the first one. It won't be every week, but just a few moments where we'll get to look at different passages in Matthew's gospel that we won't have time to do on a Sunday. Because we've got 10 or 11 weeks, we won't get to cover everything, at literally every verse on a Sunday. But um, Life News will have a few extras to go into, especially looking at the disciples. So that sound good? So there are two opportunities to really immerse yourself in the gospel this term. Of course, coming on a Sunday is the other way to do that. So we're going to start reading Matthew's gospel. But before we start, what is a gospel? What is a gospel? So gospel, the word gospel literally means good news. There might be a few musical fans in. Um, Gospel comes from the old English word Godspell, which was um, uh, a bit of a a musical a number of decades ago. Uh, But it, it literally just means God or good. It's a corruption from that word. It's good and spell is like a message or news. It's good news. That's all it means, good news. 
The gospel is good and the gospel is news. The gospel is news. That means it's not a poem. It's not fiction. It's historical narrative. The gospel of Matthew is a record of events written down from eyewitnesses that tell us what the life of Jesus was like. Tell us the things he said and the things he did. It's not myths. These aren't legends. These aren't fairy tales. These are news. The Gospel of Matthew is news. The things that happened. Things that Jesus did and said. But it's not just news. It's good news. It's not just history. It's good news. Over the last few years, I've got quite into history. I hated it at school. I just had to copy out textbooks at school, so I just absolutely hated it. But I've got really into history. And no history is told neutrally, is it? All history has a perspective. At its worst, the perspective history is told through can be manipulative and twisting. I just listened to a podcast uh, about how the Spaniards uh, came and conquered the Aztecs in Central America. And what's interesting is almost all the sources we have are Spanish sources, they're European sources. And what you find is they will twist and tell the story from a, a perspective where actually if you look at it with eyes that can see, you say, actually, I don't think that's all fair. I don't think that's all true. So at worst, when you tell history with a perspective, which all history is told through one perspective or another, it can be manipulating. But actually, at best, the perspective, the voice that tells history can draw out truth that we would otherwise miss. It can tell a story and bring a perspective that maybe we didn't see. Over Christmas, um, I watched with my family the film Oppenheimer. Now that's based on true stories, true stories that happened uh, before, after and during World War II. But what's interesting is the director doesn't have scenes of frontline warfare in World War II. Is it because the director's ignoring that that happened? Is he trying to manipulate us to believe it's fake news, there was no war? No, of course he's not. What's happening is the director is telling a specific story. Actually, what the director and what the film is about is about a lesser-known story of an unsuspecting group of people who have this power in their minds and in their hands to make huge world-changing decisions. So at worst, a perspective can be manipulative, but actually all history is told through a perspective, and at best, it draws out a different perspective, and it brings truth that could otherwise be hidden. And so when Matthew tells the gospel, he's not just telling news, he's telling good news. If Matthew was just talking about Roman Empire around 30 AD, around 2,000 years ago, he'd probably focus on Caesar Augustus. It's probably the main subject you'd expect a historian to look at. The first emperor of Rome, a great figure, a powerful man, but he only has little passing references because that's not his story he's telling. He brings a different perspective because the Gospel of Matthew isn't just news. It's good news. You see, the good news that Matthew is telling is the good news of Jesus Christ. And the question that we're going to be looking at every week of our sermon series through Matthew's gospel is who do we say Jesus is? This man, this man who lived 2,000 years ago, who said things that have shaped human history, 
who, who has phrases and, and teachings which still echo in the ears of 21st century Westerners, who did things which baffle the mind, who died a death that is remembered by almost everyone. Who was this man? And so that's the question we're going to be asking. But do you know what's interesting? It's the question Jesus asked himself. Right in the middle of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples this question. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? My friends, Jesus is asking us a question this term. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? This is a question that Matthew explores every page of this gospel. From the titles that are used about Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man, Christ, Messiah, Son of David, all of these titles, they're telling something about who Jesus is. All the way through to the miracles he performed, the teaching he brought, the interactions with people that were happening every day. Each one of these things is painting a picture to help us answer this question Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? And what I really deeply believe is Jesus, who still lives today, is asking us the question, who do you say that I am? Come and see that I am who I claim to be. And so before we open the gospel, before we even look at kind of the passage we're meant to be looking at today, let me ask you the question. Who do you say he is? Who do you say Jesus is? Because his contemporaries thought lots of different things. Peter alluded to that in the, in the Matthew 16 we just read. He said, some people say this, some people say that. Some people thought he was a prophet. Others a Jewish rabbi, a teacher. Some people thought he was the most dangerous person on the planet. And today, just as 2,000 years ago, if I asked every person in this room and every person on the street outside in Peterborough, I would get many different answers. Who is this Jesus? For many in our world, and maybe some of us here even, he's a threat to our way of life. Maybe he's the killjoy who says, you can't do this. You can't sleep with that person. You shouldn't use your money like that. For others, again, in the world, and maybe for some of us in the room here, Jesus, whether or not he existed, some people will say, whether or not he existed, he is a figurehead of a repressive and archaic institution that has forced itself on nations, cultures, and individuals. That's who Jesus is. Maybe even to some of us, that's who Jesus is. And his teaching will be just as offensive and subversive today as it was 2,000 years ago. For some of us, Jesus is a nice Sunday activity. For some of us, Jesus is a treasure trove of proverbs that we mix and match with other religious philosophies. For some of us, Jesus is our savior, but he's our savior. <laughs> He's, he's the one I want. He fits my needs and scratches my itches. Look, Jesus is many different things when you ask people, but they can't all be true. They can't. The, all the things I just said, they're incompatible. Actually, is he any of those things? This term, we're going to come to Scripture and let Jesus answer the question for himself. When he asks us, who do you say that I am? I trust by the Holy Spirit 
as we see the text, we will open our eyes and say, oh Lord, this is who you are. We will see him in his fullness. Okay, I think it's about time to open the Bible, don't you? We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1 this morning, and we're going to be looking at verses, actually, we're going to be looking just at verse 1. So let's open up Matthew 1, verse 1, and we'll read together. I'll be reading from the ESV, which should be on the screen. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So as I say this term, we're asking the question every week, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And this morning, I think there is a huge amount we can learn from this one little verse. And the main takeaway that I want us to go away with this morning is this. Who is Jesus? He's the promised human. He's the one the world has been waiting for, that all human history has been leading up to, even if we didn't expect it. Verse 1 introduces a genealogy that follows. What's a genealogy? It, it, basically, it's a family tree. It's a simplified family tree. For Jesus, this is looking back over a thousand years of who his ancestors were. Uh, I know some of you probably get really excited by family trees. There's lots of services now where you can see, who am I related to? Where am I from? This is Jesus's family tree. And it's over a thousand years of his history. Now, we're not going to read all the names today. Some of you would be disappointed that you're not going to see me try and pronounce them all. I'm sorry about that. But I would encourage you, please do read it. One of the main reasons to try and read it is because it shows us that Jesus is keyed in, deeply interwoven in the whole history of God and his people. As you read it, you'll see some familiar names. Those of you who have been with us for the last uh, six months will recognise the name Zerubbabel from our Ezra and our Haggai series. He's in there. So there'll be a few familiar faces. It's not quite as scary as it looks. Um, I even know that one of our um, kids workers knows how to do a rap of all the names. Uh, and so you can always ask said <coughs> Joe um, if you want him to do that afterwards. But we're not going to look at all those names today. Uh, and actually Matthew draws out two particular ancestors of Jesus that he wants to highlight in verse one. He says, look, I'm going to give you the whole family tree and there's lots of stuff to see in there. But, but right at verse one, I've got two people in particular I want to draw out. Jesus is the son of David and he is the son of Abraham. Just to be clear, Jesus was born of Mary, who was a virgin. She conceived from the Holy Spirit. And so this genealogy is humanly speaking. This is his adoptive father, Joseph's family line. Uh, but these are the inheritance. We'll see it's important that this was his heritage, even if biologically this wasn't so. And so Jesus is in the line of these two central figures, David and Abraham. Why are, they in so, why are they so important? Well, because both of these figures are men who God made huge promises to. Promises not to them as individuals, but to the people of God as a nation. Promises that would have been carried by the Israelites from generation to generation as they waited and hoped for the day when God would finally fulfill these promises. Matthew is saying here in verse one, loud and clear if you have ears to hear it, Jesus is the promised human. 
Here finally comes the one who will fulfill the promises of God. As Paul would say later in his letters, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And that's exactly what Matthew 1 verse 1 is telling us. Jesus is the promised human, the one that the world and all of human history has been waiting for, even if we didn't know. My birthday's in December, so I always get a double set of presents. That's always fun. Um, I don't know if you've had the experience this year. I was going to say when you're younger, but you guys in the room who are teenagers, I just want you to know that the adults in the room get just as excited by presents. They pretend they don't. Um, but I don't know if you had the experience when you've asked for a present for weeks, maybe months. I remember seeing adverts on TV and I got obsessed by them. And you ask and you ask and you ask and you can't wait for it. And then the day comes, you open it and a week later it's gathering dust. Have you ever done that? That's bad, isn't it? But we do that. It disappoints. I wonder if the opposite or a different experience has ever happened to you. When you open a present on your birthday or Christmas and you realise you have to fake a smile because you look at it and think, what is this? I don't want this. I didn't ask for this. And you, you grit your teeth and you kiss your auntie and you say, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. But you didn't want it. My uncle gave me a CD when I was a teenager and I was really into um, bands like Green Day and Linkin Park and Pendulum. And he gave me this CD by John Tavener. And it was kind of religious music and choral music and, and it used instruments. I didn't know what they were. And I thought, what is this? Why do I want this? And a, probably a couple of weeks later, I listened to it and I loved it. And I realised, oh, I didn't think I wanted it, but I do. I wonder if you've had that experience either. My friends, Jesus is the promised human. He's the one who would fulfill the great promises of God. He is one that, the one that human history has been waiting for, even if we did not realise it. How is he the promised human? Well, the first way Matthew tells us is because he's the son of David. Who was David? So David was a great king, the great king, of Israel. You can read about him in the Old Testament in books like 1 and 2 Samuel uh, and 1 Chronicles. He is the great king of Israel. He wrote many of the Psalms and he was a figure who was known for his military accomplishments. He won battle after battle. He brought peace to the nation. He subdued his enemies. He increased the territory of his land and he brought much prosperity to everyone. He was a good ruler. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible is actually also very clear that he had very big flaws. But when the image of David is evoked as, kind of, as a picture, it's a picture of a king who cared for and protected his people. When David was on the throne, all was well in Israel. That's kind of, that's a theme you get from the Old Testament. And right at the, uh, kind of the, the, in the golden years of his reign, God comes to him. And God makes a promise to David that, as I said, will ripple through the rest of the people of God's history. And we read about it in 2 Samuel 7. I'm going to read that quickly. If you, if you don't know 2 Samuel 7, I really encourage you to get to know it. It's a fantastic promise from God to his people that was fulfilled in Jesus. So 2 Samuel 7, I'll read just a few verses from 12. It says this. 
God says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, so it says to David, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. So he's saying, well, I will put one of your children on the throne and I will establish his kingdom, God says. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. God makes this astonishing promise to David. David, you will have a descendant, an offspring on the throne forever and ever. Now, King Solomon, one of his sons, is the person who succeeds him. He was king next. And Solomon indeed builds a temple for God. And so partially fulfilling that promise. But the prophets of the Old Testament knew that Solomon was only a partial fulfillment. And actually, there was a son of David on the throne of the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, for generation after generation after generation. Until one day, the people of God had been rejecting God for too long, generations, and they were kicked out of the land, and there was no king anymore. And yet, again, if you remember our Ezra series and our Haggai series, the people of God and the Old Testament prophets held on to this promise. One day, a new son of David will rise. Why? Because God promised it. God promised that there would be a son of David who God would call my son and who that son would call God father. He will rise up and save his people again. Matthew chapter one, verse one says, do you know the promise of 2 Samuel 7? Today it is fulfilled. That's what Matthew's saying to his original audience. When Jesus arrives on the scene, the day of the new King David has come because Jesus is the son, the descendant of David, not just any descendant, the descendant. He's the one who fulfills the promise. Because in the days of Matthew, they were still living under the oppression of another empire, this time the Romans. They didn't know their own freedom. Their national identity was just a shadow of what it formerly was a thousand years before under the reign of David. For, for uh, a new David to come, they would have to be someone who was even greater than David to save them from their current predicament. Matthew says in verse one, that day has come. As we read through Matthew's gospel, the thing we should be surprised by, we're so familiar with the texts, we're not surprised by them. The thing we should be surprised by is that Jesus is the great son of David, the new king, and yet it looks nothing like David. What kind of military conquering ruler is killed by his enemies? What kind of great leader is gentle? Jesus looked nothing like the saviour they were expecting. Was Matthew wrong? Did he have expectations but they never were fulfilled? Was Jesus really the promised king? What king are you hoping that Jesus is? What saviour or salvation are you wanting Jesus to fit into? One who gets rid of our struggles and gives us a comfy and easy life. One who agrees with our perspectives and priorities and never challenges us. One who rules by our definition of justice and takes vengeance on our enemies while conveniently ignoring our own sin. My friends, that sounds silly, but it is all too easy to hope that Jesus is a puppet king that we will put in our pockets and just, you know, I want Jesus to be this for me. 
try and shape him into what we want. But if we try and put Jesus in a box, we will be disappointed. But Jesus was never the king that people were expecting. You read the pages of Matthew, and one theme that comes out is that friends and enemies were equally baffled by this man. What's he doing? Why did he say that? Why did this thing just happen? They were totally confused. He was not who any of them expected. I think they, they thought a hundred different things of what he should have been, and he didn't fulfill any of them. Jesus said, no, I am who I am, and you have to come to me on my terms. Because Jesus never came to defeat the Romans. It's really important. Jesus never came to defeat the Romans. He came to defeat Satan and sin and death. Jesus came to save us from an enemy that is so dark, so deadly, so deceptive that many of us and just the majority of the world do not even know they need saving from it. Jesus came to save us from the depth of our sin that we might not know death forever, but life with him forever. Jesus may not be the saviour we expected, but my goodness, he's the saviour we need. Some of us were hoping for something different. And when we first see Jesus, and when we look at these pages, we'll be disappointed because we were hoping for this or for that. But the good news is if you have eyes to see it, if you let the Spirit speak to you, you will see that Jesus is the only saviour you have ever needed. Jesus is the son of David. He is the great king who came. He is the promise fulfilled in 2 Samuel 7. But he's also the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham was uh, the great, 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 great times many grandfather of David. We could sing a song about him. He was known as Father Abraham because uh, from him, the descendants of Israel, the people of Israel, the Jewish nation that even exists to this day, they're, they're, many of them are uh, genetic descendants of Abraham. He was the great father. And this man, God made an incredible promise to, even further back than David. In Genesis 22, God said this to Abraham just after he had tested him. God says, I will surely bless you, Abraham, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And this is very important. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Matthew 1 verse 1 tells us this. Jesus is the blessing that God promised to Abraham for all nations. Jesus is the blessing to all nations that God had promised. Now again, if we think about what does it look like to bless the world, many people have many different ideas. Some of us um, in, in, in our culture might say, what does it look like? Global blessing. Well, it looks like every person freed from poverty and debt. Ask another person, they'll say, everyone having a voice in, the democratic, in a democratic process in their own country. That's what global blessing looks like. Someone else would say, um, all people is allowed to express their sexual identity in whichever way they see fit. There's many ways that people would define global blessing, what uh, the earth blessed looks like. But Matthew says in verse 1, this is what the blessing to all nations looks like. Jesus. 
This is what the blessing to all nations look like. It's Jesus. And once again, the blessing looks nothing like what we thought. Jesus calls his followers to a life of hardship, to sacrifice, to living not for themselves but for another, for Jesus, to obedience to him. But the blessing that he offers in that isn't a thing it's not a product. It's not a service. It's not a, a, a kind of something you get. Jesus offers himself. Jesus is the promised human, but more than that, he's God himself come to us. The eternal son who came to earth. And he says, when Jesus comes, he says, the great blessing is me. You can know me and know my father. That's what Jesus offers. Not an easy life, not all our problems solved, not the, the world the way that we think it should look but he offers himself. For some, we might look at a blessing like that and be disappointed. It wasn't what I was hoping for, God. I was actually hoping for something better, something more. It's the present that disappoints because it wasn't the one you were asking for. But again, as we look this term at Matthew, as we see Jesus on page after page, my prayer is that by the Spirit, your eyes will be open to see Actually, he is the great blessing of your life. You need no other. Jesus is the son of David. He's the savior we didn't know we needed. And he's the son of Abraham. He's the blessing we didn't realize we wanted. Just like that present. But there's one more thing in this short verse I'd love to draw out. Such a deep and rich verse. There's so much in it and there's something more about who Jesus is that I want us to see before we end. So let's read the verse one more time before we see it. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, a son of David, the son of God. Did you know the New Testament wasn't written in English? Uh, English didn't exist. Uh, 2,000 years ago, at least not in that form at all. Uh, the New Testament was written in what's called Koine Greek, or Greek from 2,000 years ago. Now, as English speakers, we're incredibly privileged because we have very, very good Bible translations. That's not true of every language of the world, but it is true of English, so should, we, we shouldn't take that for granted. And so you don't need to know Greek to understand the Bible. But here's a little fun fact I told the staff team this fun fact on Wednesday and they questioned the fun nature of the fact. But I think it's a fun fact, okay? Do you know what the Greek word for genealogy is? It's Genesis. This is the genesis of Jesus Christ. This is the word that is used for the first book of the Old Testament, the title we give it, the Greek title. Because Genesis uses the word again and again. In the Greek translation, this is the uh, genealogy of this person or this person. What's Matthew doing here? Again, in verse one, Jesus is the promised human. Why? Because he's the one who offers us a new beginning. He's the one who has come into the world and said, it starts again now. We don't, we don't name this era after Caesar Augustus. We name it after Jesus Christ because it's when he came that the world was turned on its heads. My friends, Jesus is the new beginning you did not know you would be offered. He's the new beginning we did not know that God would offer us because there is no sin so vile that his death cannot forgive. There is no shame so suffocating that his blood cannot wash clean. 
There's not a person so far that he cannot reach them. And there is not a sin so dark that he will not break through and save. Jesus came to bring us into new life, eternal life. And this morning, that is exactly what he offers us. Salvation from our own sins. Because he's the saviour we didn't know we needed. Relationship with our God because he's the blessing we didn't know we wanted. And because of that, he offers us a new start that we did not realize he was possible. My friends, turn from your sin. Turn from your old way of life and follow Jesus. He is the only savior you need. The promised human has come. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And that's why Matthew is good news. We're going to respond to that message. Band, I don't know if you want to jump back up. Um, but there's a couple of groups that I'd love to just invite to respond to these things that we've been hearing in Matthew's gospel this morning. Firstly, I'd love to give an opportunity, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you've heard the gospel this morning, and you actually, you say, no, I believe that. I need Jesus He's the saviour I need to say, I'm turning away from my old life and I am following him now. If that's you, in a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. But the second group of those who think about that phrase, the blessing we didn't know we wanted, and we think, maybe I once knew Jesus was a blessing. Relationship with him was the great privilege of my life, but that's grown cold. I want to give you an opportunity to turn back and come to him again, that he might refresh you with the goodness of his life. So why don't we close our eyes? Maybe Gaz, um, you can play. This is about us and God. That's what, you don't have to close your eyes. It just helps us concentrate on God. Um, and I'd love you to do a brave thing and I'm going to ask you to stand. And that's just about you and God. It's not about other people here. But if you actually say, no, I've realised for the first time he's the saviour I need. Or if you say, actually, I've lost that sense that he is the great blessing of my life. Why don't you stand now and we're going to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful. Let's pray. I was at a conference last week. I'm a church leader and there was a response that God really struck me on my heart. And I waited a good three minutes before I responded to it because I was like, oh, I don't want to respond publicly. If God is speaking to you, stand up halfway through the prayer. That's okay. It's actually about you and God. It's not about anyone else. So, uh, but it's our way of responding to him. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus to us. Thank you that he is the saviour of the world, even if we did not realise it that he came to take away my sin and my shame by his blood. Father, thank you that the Lord Jesus is the blessing of my life, that he is the one who gives me deep joy. Even if I'm not experiencing it at the moment, I believe that that is true. Not because my life is easy, but because Christ is amazing. And I pray, Father, would you restore that joy to me right now, And Father, I accept the new start that Jesus and Jesus alone offers to turn away from my old life and to follow him.